All right, folks, welcome back to the UTSA Roadrunners football season. It's episode 221. We are so thrilled to be back with you guys for what should be another extremely exciting season for the Roadrunners. It's like the beginning of a new era moving into the AAC and maybe also the end of one. Wow. Wow. I mean, all this senior talent. We're going to go through another cycle of trailer you know, maybe getting poached by a P5 program or whatever. So just don't take anything for granted this season is all I'm saying. But this is the Alamo Audible Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Kalmas, joined by Adrian Bermudez, my co-host. Adrian, you ready to do this, brother? What a poetic outlook on the 2023 UTSA Roadrunners football season. The beginning of an era, the end of an era. And what a sweet, sweet season it should end up being. Starting here with week one against the Houston Cougars in H-Town, where the UTSA traveling consensus, the Roadrunner faithful, is going to take up that stadium in the droves. Dana Holgerson likes to talk about noise being pumped into the Alamo Dome. Well, he's not going to have any excuse about the noise the Roadrunners are making this Saturday, baby. And so I am so freaking ready, man. You know, it's crazy. Like, the offseason goes by. and you know, it's at a certain point, you kind of stop thinking about football. And then as it starts to get closer to summer, it feels like it's never going to get here. And then it goes like 100 miles per hour once we get to like July. And it's like you blink an eye mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. boom, here we are. It is game week. And like, I can't even contain my excitement this week. This Monday and Tuesday have been extremely long days because all I've been doing is thinking about, I cannot wait for this weekend. I cannot wait for this weekend. And, uh, you know, that that youthful excitement, Man, it it has not dampered whatsoever with each and every passing UTSA football season. It's always here whenever it comes to game week, especially whenever we get a good, juicy, in-state opponent like U of H. So, yes, baby. I was thinking about that the other day. You know, I my, I have a, my dog's a Husky. I've got to walk him like six, seven times a day, even in 105-degree <laughs> heat. He still wants to go on a walk. He's nuts. <laughs> but I do my best thinking on these walks. And I was thinking the other day, hmm. I really hope that that uh, sense of anticipation, excitement that you just described never goes away for me because, I mean, you and I know, like we put countless hours into this thing. We hit a lot of challenges, a lot of roadblocks. Sometimes things don't go our way. It's a lot of freaking work. It gets old. It gets tiring sometimes. But the start of every season, it's just like, man, this refresh, renewed energy to just, you know, totally pound the pavement and you know, watch every single interview I can get my hands on, you know, read the opponent message boards, do all this research. Even in the bad seasons, it still always comes back around for me and I get excited. And um, it's been going for, you know, 12 years now, I guess. So I think it's here to stay. I hope it's here to stay. Uh, But it's a good feeling, man. It really is. What better way to embrace and amplify that feeling of excitement of the start of the new season, Adrian? Then throwing a massive rager of a party with all of our podcast listeners in our home city of Houston, where you and I reside, maybe a mile or two from Houston's campus. Mm. Free beer for the masses. Mm. Thanks to the generosity and support of our Patreon donors. Wow. I am so excited to be at Easton Backyard, 9 p.m. this Friday to pass out free beer to everyone listening to this podcast right now. Holy cow, in the belly of the beast right there on the third ward line, baby. 
UTSA is going to be out there in the droves for a Roadrunner rally. Let's Fiesta H-Town. We are here. And oh my goodness, we're going to let the people know that it is going to be a blue and orange weekend all over the Trey Ward, baby. You better believe it. And so, yes, yes, at the East End Backyard on the eve of week one against U of H, we are going to be out there with all of the UTSA of the Alamo Audible family. We really hope that you can make it out. We're going to have beer buckets. We're going to be watching some college football on the screen. We're going to be getting down, getting jubilant, maybe busting out some UTSA chants and, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe get into some into some competitions, some merch giveaways. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm extremely excited. The last time we had a podcast party, it was a absolutely incredible time. It was an electric night. And so, yeah, man, 6 p.m. kickoff, plenty of time for hangover recovery. Bring your liquid IVs down on the road. Bring your Pedialytes, Electrolytes, coconut water, uh, Advil, Aleve, whatever it is that you need, because uh, it's a marathon, baby. It's going to be a marathon of a weekend, Friday and Saturday night. And hey, you got Monday off, so no excuses. <laughs> I still have a video on my phone of our last uh, party that we threw in San Antonio. And I don't know what song was playing, but you were like dancing with like a hookah in your hand. And you were like, this is one hell of a remix. And I was like, I don't know. I love that little clip, the little two, three second clip. And uh, I hope I hope we get a lot of those out of the Friday night party. Uh, but people also muster the energy to bounce back uh, Saturday for uh, they're tailgating activities and, you know, causing a ruckus in TV UTSA stadium. Well, I was, I thought you were going to reference a clip that you had of me on the walk to the Alamo dome the following morning. And no, I was like, no, no, we no, won't no, speak of that about. one. No, no, no. <laughs> but I mean, you were fine. Come game time. We rallied. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I can't, do they have the hookahs at Easton backyard? I totally forgot. I yeah. We had a few of those popping off at the, uh, at the block. It'll be a good time. It'll be a good time. Please folks come out. Support your road runners. Have a good time with the boys. Yeah, and not the only giveaway we're doing as well. We are doing a college football pick them uh, mm. through ESPN. And we'll be giving away free merch to the victor of that competition. So uh, you can just go on alamoaudible.com. You can find the link there. It'll send you to ESPN to do the sign up. Only thing is you got to make sure you put your email address as like your entry name because there is no messaging like system on ESPN. Mm -hmm. uh, so if we can't get a hold of you, we can't arrange for your gear shipment. Uh, so be sure to set that up. And uh, yeah, may the best picker win. Can't have the birds right. up 69 username. We won't be able to find you. Yeah, way. true. So we'll tip our hat, but we won't be able to send you any free stuff. <laughs> Uh, of course, all of these giveaways would not be possible without the support of our Patreon subscribers. And we did have two new subscribers sign up this week. So thank you to Melissa Cooper at the Insider Tier, who I think is probably Cameron Cooper's mom because she signed up like right when we posted our tight end preview. We had great things to say about Cameron. Nice, so nice, nice. And James Loera also joined us at Insider Tier. So thank you guys for signing up. And if you're not a patron, hope you'll uh, take this opportunity to check us out. All right, Adrian. Well, you know, the best time of the year is probably the first kickoff of football season, getting in that stadium, whether it's home or the road and feeling the energy, the roar of the crowd. Mm. You know, you smell the stale beer that someone spilled on their shoes, the tailgate, you know, you got a hot dog passed around, all that good stuff. But like right behind that is getting the first depth chart of the year. I mean, I just really nerd out on this stuff and it's funny to go back and look at past seasons, week one depth chart, and like none of that stuff mattered. 
Uh, but I still really, really enjoy it. What was your, I guess, first reaction to seeing the 2023 week one depth chart for UTSA? Hmm. I was excited. I was excited to see it. I'm excited to see it come out. You know, I know guys are sitting there at their computer screen hitting refresh over and over and over again. Dude, Javi always gets <laughs> it first, man. He's he's on it. Uh, I, I think um, the, the most pleasant, I, I don't know if it's really a surprise because we kind of saw the writing on the wall through fall camp. But I love seeing Chris Carpenter as a definitive starter at the wide receiver position. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he is going to be um, a great wide receiver, part of this already um, mixed bag of, of tremendous star wideouts. You know, he's going to join the tandem there. And uh, Chris Carpenter will also be able to continue the wide receiver greatness going into next season at UTSA. So uh, I, I love to see him definitively at that starting position at wide receiver. So big ups to Chris Carpenter expecting big things from him. I know he's going to deliver. I know he's expecting big things from himself. He's going to be a weapon and he's going to be a consistent target for Frank Harris all year long. Yeah. Well, so that's a, that's a keen observation for me. I mean, again, it's no surprise, but every year I see it typed out just like the depth of this defensive line where they really go a solid, solid nine deep. And then I'm looking at it right now. I've got it pulled up. You got Ronald Triplett and Nick Booker Brown, both as technically third string defensive ends. Both of those guys made plays last season that changed the direction of an entire game, arguably an entire season, and they're third string on the step chart. Like it's wow. just totally nuts. Um, just crazy talent. Two power five guys sitting right there, technically third string. It's such a blessing, man. It's crazy to see. Wow. That is pretty incredible. So maybe. One, I guess, light surprise, I guess you could say for the depth chart. Uh, some of the spots where guys ended up on the offensive line were not quite what I expected to see. I really thought Buffalo Cruz had things locked down at left tackle, and Walker Beatty ended up beating him out to get the start at left tackle. No or this position battle is decided. Right. Walker gets the start over the highly talented Juco transfer. But you know Buffalo Cruz's transition uh, transition from defense defensive line to offensive line, and so yeah, same as Walker. Some, yeah. Correct, correct. But Walker's been in this position all last season long with UTSA, mm-hmm. and we heard Buffalo Cruz talking about the challenges of making that switch as far as you know hand placement, footwork, the cerebral part of it being very very different. And so I just think a lot of that transition is still sort of what's weighing down on Buffalo Cruz. He's still trying to figure out all of those kinks and those details, getting it really down packed. Whereas a guy like Walker Beatty really already sort of has that underneath his fingertips and, and Jeff Trailer knows and trusts that. And so maybe there was just one too many times where Buffalo Cruz was off assignment throughout fall camp that, you know, it was, it was too much for comfort for Jeff Trailer mm-hmm. and, and the offensive staff. And so, yeah, I think they went with Walker Beatty, and and sure, I think over the course of the season, you might see that switch out. Buffalo Cruz is still going to get a lot of run as the backup mm-hmm. at left tackle, even in the U of H game. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not extremely concerned about Buffalo. I just think it's one of those things where there's there's still some growing pains that maybe not necessarily struggling with, but doesn't have down pat, right? Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't want to talk about that myself. If you remember um, the next media availability after the last scrimmage of fall camp, Coach Trailer made a comment like there are some guys that thought they were starters that after the scrimmage, they are not starters anymore. 
Mm. And I would like at the time, I thought it was like probably a wide receiver because I thought it was like a little bit more flux um, at those positions. Right. And I could definitely see like an, an upperclassman thinking that they had a position on lock, you know, with Zakari out the door or JT potentially being out for this week, whatever it might be. So I was thinking that was a wide receiver that he was talking about. Like someone had a drop or whatever penalties. But now I'm thinking that might have been about Buffalo Cruz. Because yeah. it sure sounded like they had him penciled in as a starter. And then, you know, Walker holds on, man. When you have that scrimmage, now you're in game time scenario. Mm-hmm. A lot different than just running the drills, right? Yep. And yeah, I mean, you know, maybe maybe that sort of proved the difference there whenever you actually ran a full scrimmage at full speed. And we heard Jeff Trailer talking about, you know, guys were out there getting physical, maybe a little bit too physical. And so these guys were battling out for those starting mm-hmm. positions, you know, and, and and that's whenever the internal battle within the program, it gets really, really serious at the, at the peak of fall camp. When you start running those scrimmages, these guys don't just want to be on the roster. They don't just want to get snaps. They want to start. And a guy like Walker Beatty, he had that starting position last season. Right. And so, you know, he probably had a chip on his shoulder. You got to come and take that from me, bud. And, um, you know, we, we, we were talking about our season preview against Tulane. You got to, you got to beat the champ to be the champ. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of that here. Right. But so, so Buffalo Cruz has to, has to definitively show that he is ready to be the starter at left tackle. And until then you go with what's proven. And, and, and that's been Walker Beatty. And I was good. And Buffalo Cruz also has an oar next to his name with, uh, with, with Daniel Ogundipe. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah. I forgot about that. So it's not it's it's not like right one two and three but yeah Cruz and Daniel are sharing that backup position and so you know the 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 growth gap that needs to be filled in might be larger than you know we want to think. I do feel a little bit guilty because I've been driving the Buffalo Cruz hype train really hard this offseason. I think I've been the conductor of the Buffalo Cruise hype train. <laughs> if someone's going to hype up a Juco transfer offensive lineman, it's going to be me, buddy. I'll tell you that much. And sure. uh, a while back, I like kind of had that thought in the back of my head. Like, am I writing Walker Beatty off too soon? Because I was really high on Walker last year. I mean, I think at one point yeah. I called him a multi-year starter. I, I saw him as an all-conference talent down the road as he gets more reps uh, and, you know, better technique and stuff like that. Uh, and obviously that was correct. Like I should have maybe trusted that, uh, that brain warm in the, in the back of my head there. Uh, but I'm happy for Walker, man. I mean, they bring in two super highly recruited, uh, you know, highly ranked Juco guys. And, you know, you're, I, I don't know if he was a two-star or three-star coming to high school, but he was not the level of recruit those guys were. And then, you know, he started on the defensive line at UTSA and to hold off those kind of guys. That says a lot about Walker, man. So I'm excited for him. You know, even mm-hmm. if this, you know, get shaken up and the starting lineup in week five is, is nothing like we see here. Um, still a great sign for the depth, right? That, that this battle came down the way that it did. So it's encouraging Look, to see. I was not so surprised at your praise for Buffalo Cruz, but I was a little bit surprised at your dismissal of Walker Beatty because you were yeah. super high on him all last season. He was yeah. honorable mention all conference USA performer on offensive line. And this is a guy that made the switch in the middle of, uh, you know, our, our out of conference schedule in late September and, and had That's to crazy. move over and had to move over to left tackle and, and ended up getting seven starts at the position and really, really held it down, man. And so look, uh, all credit to Walker Beatty. Uh, the, the guy is a force at that position and I think he'll continue to be all year long. The, the question that I have Jared is, you know, we're, 
we're replacing our our center this season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh Maka no longer no longer with the program graduated. So now we have starting center Ernesto uh, Ernesto Amaraz, which I think was your prediction during our yes. our offensive preview. I also know the backup too. Behind him, you got Luke Lapese with an or Frank Martinez. My question is, is are we going to see those guys filling in other spots on the offensive line if Ernesto Almaraz is just holding it down at the center position? Yeah, so uh, first off, I'll say I, I would expect a rotation at center. I think you're going to rotate guard and tackle a little bit to keep them fresh. But, you know, snapping cadence and just the familiarity with the quarterback, you don't really want to mess with that, right? Right. So I think Ernesto is going to be the center. I don't think you're going to rotate too much. I think there's a chance that LaPaz gets rotated in a guard, but I don't think it's something they're going to do super intentionally right off the bat mm. because that guard position is pretty deep for UTSA. They got a lot of guys I can throw out there. Sounds like Payne Hebert might be out with injury. He's not on the depth chart this right. week. I don't really know the status there. This is kind of a, a guess on my part, I guess. I guess it's guess. I don't know. But uh, I think LaPay's played pretty well at guard last year, so I wouldn't be surprised if he steps in. But I think for the most part, they're going to want to specialize these centers because just having that ability to have clean snaps is just so crucial. It's so underrated. So I, I don't think they'll want to mess with these guys too much and rather just have them ready to step in as needed at that center spot. Okay. You know, I feel okay. like we probably lead America in like minutes per podcast, but on the offensive line. Um, so shout out to us on that. But one, <laughs> one last note I want to make on the offensive line is, you know, you mentioned that Ogan Dupe's listed as an or a left tackle with Buffalo Cruz. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know who doesn't have an or next to them is DeAndre Marshall, backup right tackle, redshirt freshman, 6'7", 315 from Central Catholic in San Antonio. Uh, Didn't damn. see that one coming. Homegrown. The dude is a freaking beast. Six seven. Are you kidding me? Holy cow. And uh definitive backup at right tackle. Yeah, you love to see that sort of action. You really love to see that. Yeah, I can't remember who it was. Someone tweeted at uh the podcast account a couple weeks ago asking how the central Catholic guys were looking. And I think I said something like, I think you know, DeAndre Marshall's a you know a bit behind the curve, he's got a longer ways to go. And he's ahead of a four-star offensive tackle right now, technically, wow. if you look at it that way. Wow. So shout out wow. to DeAndre, man. That's super exciting. And, you know, they're so confident with DeAndre at that backup right tackle spot that they moved Demetrius Allen inside to guard because he was the backup tackle, I think. Mm. Wow. And, you know, he played there last year as well. So I think that's a really reassuring um I guess like sign of confidence in DeAndre that they would move Allen inside like that. Yeah. Yeah. Backing up Vinley Tatafu now left guard. How about that? Yep. yep. And um at running back, the definitive backup behind Kavorian Barnes is Vanderbilt transfer Rocco Griffin. And I don't think there's too much of a surprise here, nope. but it is something I'm very excited about, Jared. And uh, I'm not sure how they're going to be splitting up the workload. Of course, Kavorian Barnes is going to be getting a majority of the carries. But Rocco's a guy that, you know, you don't have to you don't have to have Kavorian Barnes getting 75% of the carries and Rocco only getting 25%, right? I think you could get closer to an even distribution just with the talent that he brings to the field. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how they're going to split that up and how Rocco's going to be utilized in the run game. Because I do see us relying a lot more on the run game 
this season than we have in seasons past. Yeah, if I could pick one small thing to happen on the field for UTSA on Saturday that <clears throat> may not make the difference and if they win or lose, but just make me feel better about the team moving forward. If Rocco Griffin runs for like 70 yards or something like that, I'll mm. feel great. I feel mm. great about the stable of running backs. Um, that would also be a lot more than they ran against as a team for Houston last year. They only had like 30 <laughs> yards, right? <laughs> yeah. So my expectation is probably way too high. Um, but you know, if Rocco steps in from day one and he's the clear number two, that's uh it's gonna be a great feeling for Roadrunner fans for sure. Wrapping things up, uh, at least for my notes, if you have more to share, please do. But uh, my last note on the offense is we've got two true freshman wide receivers on the depth chart, David wow. Amador and Devin McQuinn. Wow. That is a surprise. And I didn't notice that. I definitely noticed Devin, which I think we did talk about Devin a little bit. Yeah. In our preview, but you just, you just don't expect to see true freshmen making the depth chart like that, especially in a definitive backup role. And mm-hmm. uh, and and Amador got the or next to his name with Willie McCoy. And so these are two guys that could definitely get run all season long. I mean, do you see yeah, the you don't you don't put them on the jump chart week one if you're gonna redshirt them? Both of these guys are gonna play 12 games. That was gonna be my question. That was gonna be my question. Do you see these guys running through their red shirt and getting getting yeah, more than four games of play? I do definitely, huh? Yep. Wow. I mean, also look at the roster. Between those seniors and then these incoming freshmen, there's not much in that gap, right? Because a lot of those guys that would have been in that um, class, mm. you know, those sophomores and juniors, they've hit the transfer portal because there wasn't playing time with the big three sticking around. So they need to get those guys ready to take over. You got to get those guys ready. You got to get them ready quick. Yeah, because 2024 is going to be here before you know it. Mm hmm. Okay. One last note that I'll make is I think I have a much better understanding of UTSA's like philosophy as far as like receiver positions go. So I thought it was like really interesting to see who ended up at the slot position on this depth chart. Cephas is there. He's the starter, obviously. Devin McQuinn and Jaron Randall are also slot receivers. Most teams have a short, speedy guy at the slot that right. can just get open with speed. When Cephas moved into the slot, I always thought it was just because, oh, JT and Zakari are so good outside that you put Josh in the slot just to have him on the field at the same time as Josh and JT. Seeing this new depth chart with these incoming players and like who ended up at the F, the Z, the X, now leads me to think that this is like a design choice of UTC's right. offense, right? Yeah. Where they yeah. they put the speed demon at the Z at a flanker. So that's like the one that's not on the line of scrimmage before the snap. They have a step mm-hmm. off. Uh those are the speed guys, Chris Carpenter, Willie McCoy, David Amador. And then the slot guys are the really, really good route runners that have really solid hands. Josh Cephas, Devin Quinn, Jared Randall. All those guys are six feet or taller. It's just it's very different than how a lot of programs use their slot receiver. So yeah, it's that just not was an not, interesting pickup for me. It's just not how you think of the slot receiver, right? On right, average, you know, right. you think of that short bursty guy, but look right. at how you think of a a Patriots receiver, you know, West Cole Walker Beasley. Type. Yeah, West yeah, Walker. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But look at the success that Joshua Cephas had at the position last year. And maybe it's just a very dynamic approach to spacing out your receivers differently and and a different sort of scheme but 
Yeah, I mean, Cephas was was so instrumental, and and a lot of his plays were, you know, catching the ball after it traveled in the air for maybe seven or eight yards, and then picking up seven to twelve more with his feet, right? And I think that's something. Oh, that's an interesting point. I wonder if these guys get put in the slot position for yards after catch. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. man. Yeah. And with a bigger body and a dynamic route runner that's got himself not just a little bit of separation, but got himself truly wide open to a degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, this is a guy that he's not just moving the sticks for you, but he's getting big explosive plays. Fascinating Very stuff, man. Fascinating. fascinating stuff. We love the X's and O's here on Alamo Audible. Let's jump over to the defense, though. I guess, again, not a huge surprise. I mean, there were there were indications it was going to play out this way. Uh, but Sam Houston State transfer Cam Alexander wins the position battle to start at cornerback opposite of Nick Troy Fortune. Mm-hmm. He's a very confident player. Played really well at Sam Houston State. Won a natty over there. He had an interesting quote in a Greg Luca article pretty much saying that, like, he kind of felt like he was too good at San Francisco State, and, like, they just stopped throwing the ball to his side of the field. Mm. And then when he got subbed out and the backup came in, boom, they started su- suddenly started throwing to his side of the field. And then I wouldn't watch their A&M game last year. I watched uh, every every defensive play for San Houston in that game, and he was right, man. I mean, I feel like they threw his side once in the first quarter. It was like a three-yard pickup or something. And then the next time they threw over to him was an interception, and that was it. Everything else went to the other side of the field. It's crazy. Wow. Wow. I'm high on Cam, man. I think it'd be really good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and I love that that sort of confidence level, right? That that sort of bravado to to know that you're ready to play at the next level, right? And and to go show yeah, what just you not, can do. not when Zakari Franklin does it though. Then it's not cool. <laughs> Is it too soon? It'll always be too soon. <laughs> Oh man! I, I guarantee you, at least one person turned the podcast off after that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I love Cam getting the nod here when it's starting job. I feel mixed emotions about Zay Frazier not winning it. Right, he's a four-star guy, six foot three, super physical. You just watch him on special teams, man. He he's a physical talent. He runs on the field like a gazelle. He hits hard on special teams. And I feel like he raises the ceiling of this defense, much like, you know, when Tariq Woolen really blossomed and became this like shutdown cornerback, it just made UTC's defense way better than it was before. So I really want to see Zay make that jump, right? What uh, What is it? I mean, you talk about the physicality of him. So is it is it mental? Is it a cerebral thing? Is it a playbook thing? Is it a vision thing that, that that's lacking there? You know, what what is it? There have been a lot of like quotes that have come out of camp about Zay, some from him and some from players, some from coaches. I guess like he didn't grasp a playbook all that well last year, which isn't crazy because he was only a sophomore last sure. year. It's easy to forget that he's a young guy. Um, and then it sounded like, you know, a confidence issue as well. You know, so, I mean, I definitely think it's all mental with him. I mean, he's fast. He's got long arms. He can jump. Like there's nothing holding him back physically from being a really good cornerback. I don't think it's just putting all the pieces together um responding well to coaching getting better and stuff like that so mm-hmm. you know I, I think he's going to be a good backup for you to say this year but i just like you can see a ceiling right and you know if i'm coach cram the, the quarterback's coach like i'm coaching this guy hard because like i know that he can be an nfl player i know he has it in him and 
you know, as a coach, you just want to pull that out. Right. And you, when you know it's there. So yeah, hopefully he continues to develop this year, but he actually has an or next to Xavier Spencer on the yep. note. Yeah. So that's it. He's not even a clear number two. That's strange. I think he'll play a lot this week though. Cause Diwan Griffin's listed as the backup to cam, but he's been out like almost all the fall with an injury. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, like you know, JT's been out most of fall camp, but he's been in pads and stuff. Like he has like a red jersey on, but he's been out there. Sure. I haven't even seen Daiwan suited up. So right. I don't I don't know like when he's been at practice, how long he's been at practice, stuff like that. So that's interesting. Something to watch this week for sure. Really good receiving group at U of H. So that'd be a challenge. Well, you know, Xavier Spencer's just kind of more so been like a rotational guy at that at yeah. that position and and more of a just kind of a utility player for us, but you know, and it never has really been a starter and hasn't been a consistent player in, in, in every single game throughout the season. Right. I mean, he just kind of goes in whenever he's needed, uh, whenever other guys need to get a break more so. And so it feels like he should, it feels like Zay should have at least the leap over Xavier Spitzer there, but who knows, maybe Xavier's improving and, and, and ready to go into a senior season with a, a little bit more mustard well you know xavier's not as tall as a he probably doesn't have the, the reach the long arms but right. he has a lot of those same physical abilities that Zay has i mean I, i've heard from a lot of people he's one of the fastest guys on the team super athletic mm. um he flashes on special teams as well i think he had a block kick or a block punt one season if i remember correctly could be making that up i don't know uh but he's definitely a guy that stands out on special teams so like you can see him operate in space and you see the physical ability so, yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see how these guys kind of battle it out for playing time. And, I, I, you know, based off last year, I think they do want to have that cornerback rotation pretty short. Um, I could be wrong mm. about that. Maybe that's like, you know, just like lack of trust in the depth. Um, but I do think most likely we're going to see one of those guys went out. And then we'll probably see three cornerbacks really uh, be in the mix for like 70% of snaps. My one thing on the defense is I, I did expect to see Nick Booker Brown, a little bit higher. But, I mean, I mean, he's behind two seniors. I get that. But this is third string on the defensive end. And uh, Well, I think it all depends, like, what the offense is lined up in and, and what the down and distance is. Because I can guarantee you if it's third and seven, Nick Booker Brown's going to be out there. They're not okay. going to have Joe Evans out there over Nick okay. uh, in that situation. So, I think yeah. it's situational. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Probably the same for Trumaine Bell, that other defensive end position. Like he's he's gotten up to six two 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 hundred seventy five. He's beefed up quite a bit, but I think they're mostly going to use <clears throat> use him on the third down packages for the most part. And you'll see like a Cyrus Simon out there uh, to defend against the run first and second down. On those on those longer down distances, you want a more explosive, quicker guy on that defensive end, and then on those shorter third down kind of downs, uh, you want the larger guy. Yeah. Is that is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. Yep. Makes sense. Okay. Any other things from the depth chart? I think the fact that middle linebacker is still undecided. Um, I think it's one of the few positions that has an or as a starter that's not injury related. So it's like Avery Morris or Darren Alman, who is the All-American transfer from Angelo State. Definitely a position that we want to see someone lock down for UTSA and, and be a clear starter. 
<clears throat> kind of know what you're getting with Avery Morris. You know, he he was solid last year. He's probably not a game-changing type of linebacker. He's not going to probably make a whole bunch of Havoc plays, but he's going to be a solid, dependable option. Uh, Darren Allman put up numbers at Angelo State. Big jump of competition going from Division Two to the AAC. So I think that position battle will probably go throughout, um, you know, out-of-conference play. And we'll see how that pans out. But um, probably one of the most important position battles and looks like it's still undecided. Uh, I'll give you my most important position battle that's still undecided mm-hmm. at the starter. Kicker. Who the hell is UTSA's place kicker, Jared? We've got Chase Allen or Tate Sandell. And we have no idea who's going to be kicking the field goals for a team that is known to go back and forth into the shootouts down to the mm-hmm. wire. Who's going to be that guy that provides the separation for us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all slept on that a little bit as uh, as fans and as analysts and stuff like that. Uh, I'm worried, man. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm should worried. be worried. We should absolutely be worried. Chase Allen transferred in from Alabama. You you expect an SEC talent uh, at the position to maybe be clear cut, especially an upperclassman, but. He's not. And Tate Sandell, uh, you know, he, he's a sophomore that originally recruited over to UTSA as a freshman last season out of Port Neches. Um, there's no separation after fall camp between these two guys, between uh, a, a sophomore, or I'm sorry, a, a redshirt freshman from Port Neches and a junior from freaking Alabama, Tuckaloosa. So what the hell is going on at place kicker position, Jared? I don't know. I don't know if we have that guy. It's worrisome. You know, they, they might use both of them. It could be a situation where Allen has the bigger leg and he's kicking the 50 yarders. And then they've got Sandell in for the extra points and anything within the 30 yard mark. I don't know, but I don't, I don't feel great about it. And it could be, what ends up using, losing UTSA this game against Houston. Mm, don't you dare. I mean, you cannot dismiss it, man. Think of how many games UTSA has won on the leg of Jared Sackett and Hunter DePlessis these past yes. three years. Yes. Yes. Many, many, many. Big, Biggest question mark for the Roadrunners, man. Special teams. Yep. Who is the place kicker? So yep. Jerry's still out. Well, that's our depth chart analysis. We have a full interview with Bobby and Dustin from the Scott and Holman pod coming up after the jump. Uh, but first, I guess we can give predictions for the game. Yes. 35,000 yes. tickets sold already for this week. It's going to be a strong traveling consensus of UTSA mm. fans. I think we're going to represent quite well. And I like UTSA's chances, man. I Like I had a moment where I, I really jumped on board of UTSA, like really doing some nasty things to Houston in this game. And then I slept on it. And then I came back a little bit more even killed. Um, but I think I'm going to stick to what I've been feeling all along. I think it's going to be a one score game. I think UTSA wins it something like 31 to 27. Ooh. So UTSA veteran offense going to put points up on the board. U of H new quarterback, new running back by committee, new star wide out, or someone's got to jump in that number one slot, I should say. I think there's going to be growing pains. There's some question on their offensive line depth. 
think they've got a lot to figure out through the first couple of games of the season. September is going to be hard for U of H. And um, UTSA goes in there. It's going to be fun back and forth first half. UTSA is ultimately going to handily win this game, run away with it, if you will. Give me 34-17 Roadrunners. I think UTSA gets ranked if they do that. Wow. I mean, depending how the rest of the, the nation shakes out, sure. that would be a very impressive performance for sure. Put me well, down we'll for see. it. You ready for it? Yeah. Well, we'll see you guys on Friday at East End Backyard at 9 o'clock. If you can't make it out, we'll see you at TD ECU Stadium. And if you're not making the trip, I'll be in San Antonio for the Texas State game. So mm. hopefully I'll run into some of you guys throughout all of those many events going on. Uh, before we cut over to the podcast, we do want to say thank you to our big money donors and our board of trustees sponsors on Patreon. A uh, ton of bonus content coming out. We've had position previews up these past two or three weeks. I just recently did a bonus episode on UTSA Volleyball's 3-0 start to the season that ran on our Patreon feed. Um, so just extra content all the time. You know the drill. You know, bonus episode every week, usually during football season for the most part. So if you're not subscribing on Patreon, be sure to make the jump. It's never been a better time to join. But thank you to our big money donors, Ben Tovar, Rick Cortez of Brady Road Grillers, the Bunch family, Zach Espinacueta of the San Antonio Podcast Network, the Fikes family, Alejandro Benavides, Dan Erdahl, host of Around the Bird Bath. Mm. Uh, thinking of Dan and his family this week as his wife is expected to go into labor very soon. So we're very excited for the Nerdals. Uh, shout out to Jacob Cavazos, board president of the UTSA Alumni Association, who is celebrating another successful UTSA Alumni Association gala. So way to go, Jacob. Uh, Maddie and Mandy and Homefield Apparel, where you can use discount code UTSA once Homefield to get 15% off your first purchase or 10% off for returning customers. And you'll be supporting us and the Republic Football Podcast Network. Thank you also to our board of trustees members, DigiTeek, John Otwell, Lena Perez of Los Dos Rowdy Tailgating, Gary and Ruben representing the UTSA Bird Gang Tailgate. Ray Redding and Meet Me Apparel, Brandon Grail in the Grail Realty Group, Andy Elizada Profession Benefit Solutions, Ian McClendon and Seeker LLC, Brandon Patron, Ryan Squares, and Waterman Construction. Whew, it's a marathon. You can see why I started to break these things up, but with the interview, just had to knock it all out at once. So thank you guys all for your support. And we'll take a quick coming break and jump over to the interview uh, with Dustin and Bobby. So thank you guys. guys we're back with dustin and bobby of scott and holman podcast many many time uh guest appearance on the pod but bobby's first time as a co-host of the scott and Holman podcast so bobby welcome dustin Thank welcome you. back yeah Thank you. very excited for this week's game yeah good to be talking to you guys and uh can't wait for uh for saturday and get this thing rolling yeah i've only heard good things these uh the other two talk about you guys a lot and what great work y'all are putting in so i'm super excited to be on yeah, I was wondering if Sam had warned you about us or not. <laughs> glad, glad to hear you got the memo. <laughs> well, cool. Andrew, do you want to start us off with a couple of questions for the guys? Yeah, absolutely. So, look, uh, this is not the same offense that 
beat UTSA in triple overtime and came back and scored 37 points on us in the Alamo Dome last season. Y'all got a new quarterback, new wide receiver, uh, uh, running back by committee, it seems like. What is the what is the outlook for this new UTSA? I'm, I'm sorry, for this new U of H offense, right? right? Who, who are the guys that are going to be making the plays? And um, how concerned are y'all about the drop-off, the growing pains, I guess, with, with fielding a new quarterback, having a new, well, maybe not a new star wide out, but a guy that's got to sort of take that next step to become the the new star wide out and a running back by committee. Yeah, I think there's a lot of kind of mixed feelings about the offense going forward. There's a lot of things to be worried about, worried about, you know, breaking in a new quarterback. Um, you know, luckily you did bring in Donovan Smith, someone with some some Big 12 experience who's won some big, big 12 games. Uh, you know, wins over the Longhorns, over the, the Cougars last year, unfortunately. Um, but the guy who's, you know, obviously it's been a mixed bag for him. He needs to, you know, kind of cut down on the turnovers and things like that. But I think there's a lot to like there. But certainly, I mean, it, it took a few years of Clayton Toon being in the offense, a talented quarterback to really kind of become the best that he could be. So for, you know, facing a good team like UTSA in game one of trying to break in a new quarterback into this offensive system. You know, when he's probably a guy with a couple of years of eligibility left, that you probably brought him in thinking for, you know, not just one, but maybe one or two seasons uh, in the program. And then certainly you lose Tank Dell, an NFL caliber, a guy who was an NFL wide receiver, essentially playing in college last year. And there's no one on the roster at receiver that is Tank Dell good. But, you know, I think the overall depth at receiver is going to be um, a lot better for, for Donovan Smith to throw to. You have Matthew Golden coming back after a fantastic uh, freshman season for the Cougars. You brought in a couple of uh, high-level uh, transfers, uh, Boogie Johnson from uh, Oklahoma State, who was someone that they were real excited about. Um, you brought in a couple of like high four star recruits at wide receiver who I think, you know, eventually I don't know how much they're going to get during the UTSA game, but I think going to get there, going to get there. Eventually you get back um, uh, Joseph Manjack, who made the ESPN number one play against UTSA last year, that sliding catch uh, in the end zone for a touchdown. Unfortunately, I got injured a few games into the season, but he's back healthy and just everyone associated with the program raves about um, what he's been doing and what he's going to be able to do this season. But I, I think the biggest thing is, We've seen year after year for U of H, everything seems to hinge on the offensive line. And that's, I think, kind of the great question mark going into the season. I think there's a lot to like with the five starters coming back, certainly lead, led by by Josh Jones at left tackle, who's, I think, also an NFL player that's still playing college this year. Someone that's going to be big getting paid to play football a year from now. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think there's, there's there's some question marks there with the depth. I think the starting five looking pretty solid after that. I think it's a little bit questionable. So maybe that holds up for hopefully at least the UTSA game, but what that's going to mean over the course of a full season, once they're playing big 12 defenses and kind of getting beaten down and having to figure out who some of these, some of these second stringers are, you know, I think that's a little bit more questionable. So yeah, I don't know. It's given that the offense was definitely what led the team last year and that the, the defense was pretty uh, lousy and had a lot of ground to make up. It's a little bit concerning as many question marks as there are, but you know, there are a, a lot of things to be legitimately excited about as well. So definitely a, a mixed bag. Yeah. I would, some, uh, sorry. Go ahead, Bobby. No, I was just going to echo what uh, a lot of what Dustin said there. Um, I think with the, with Donovan Smith and the wide receivers, we're actually fairly young at most of the positions on the, on the offensive side of the ball, except for offensive line. So really looking at this offense, I, this year is a giant question mark when it comes to quarterback, when it comes to receiver, uh, you do return a lot of talent at receiver with, like Dustin said, with uh, Matthew Golden and Manjack. But I think if we can, this will be one of those years where we go, we learn kind of what the big 12 is. And then next year, the offense is going to take a really big step forward. But in terms of this year, this first game, you're absolutely right. It is going to be a pretty big question mark going in. What does this, uh, what, how does this offensive line protect a quarterback in Donovan Smith that, uh, 
that will probably need a little bit more time to kind of read the defense a little bit and uh, kind of figure out what he's doing in this offense. You know, coaches always talk about how you don't want your players thinking, you just want them reacting. And I think this is going to be the first step in getting Donovan Smith comfortable enough that he's reacting, not just thinking out there. Yeah, that's a good transition for my first question. I want to talk about play style for Donovan Smith versus Clayton Toon. Um, so there was some chatter on UTA Twitter where they're like, you know, Toon really beat us with his legs last year, not so much his arm. And I think they saw that Donovan Smith is six foot five, two forty, and thought that they were getting like a statue of a pocket passer. I don't know if that's necessarily the case. So how would you guys uh, kind of comparing and contrast those two quarterbacks? Yeah, I would say I would say um, in terms of the arm, Clayton Toon. I I'll be honest. I've watched. You know, I watched Donovan Smith uh, last year versus us. I watched him in that University of Texas game. I Clayton Toon had the arm to make some of just incredible throws. And I think Donovan Smith is going to have a good arm, maybe not as good as Clayton Toon's. And then Clayton Toon was, like you said, he beat you guys last year scrambling. And he was, he was quick. He was smart. He knew when to tuck it. He knew when to run. And it's just going to be about can Donovan Smith figure that out as well. I think if you just kind of, Look at Donovan Smith. Like you said, he kind of looks like a statue, but he has that mobility that that kind of sneaky mobility. He's not somebody that you think is just going to tuck it and run. And, you know, you're going to run option with him the whole time or something like that. But he is going to be um, good enough with his feet that you are going to have to account for it. Yeah, I think kind of the difference between the two guys in terms of the running styles is I think. Clayton Toon had a little bit more of the the quickness, the elusiveness, he could kind of. He was sneaky fast, which I think is just the way I think it's what people say when a white quarterback is fast. They say he's sneaky <laughs> fast. I was trying um, not to say it. <laughs> yeah, I think Donovan Smith, he, you know, I don't think I don't know if he has, I don't know if he's gonna break as many long runs as Clayton Toon did, but with that kind of size, and what from what I've seen on tape, is he's just really good short yardage runner, a guy who can pick you up a couple yards in the run game when you need it to get the first down. Whereas Clayton Toon was a little bit more hit or miss with that kind of thing. It wasn't someone that you really wanted to rely on to kind of put his shoulder down and get a couple of yards where you needed it. So, you know, I, I think that's maybe the difference between the two. And I, I kind of agree with Bobby. I think Clayton Toon probably has a little more arm talent, but you know, I think it's also, you know, it's easy to compare senior year Clayton Toon that we all remember from recency bias and not remember some of the, the more flawed versions of Clayton Toon that got better over the years. So we'll have to mm-hmm. see what Donovan Smith does, but you know, I think the biggest thing that Houston can do to help Donovan Smith is, is just get the run game going something they've never really been able to do under Dana Holgerson, but they brought in Iman Nagavi, who was the offensive line coach for Tulane last year when they did just a fantastic job running the ball all over everybody to kind of get in and establish this run game. And I think that's what Donovan Smith needs. I think Donovan Smith needs to be the quarterback of a more balanced run game. That's what we saw Houston do towards the beginning of the year last year was they tried to play this balanced run game, something they tried to do every year under Dana Holgerson. And then finally over the back half of the season, we finally saw him go, Oh, okay. We, we have Clayton tune and tank Dell and we can't run the ball very well. So let's just throw it a bunch. That's something we should have been doing all year. Whereas I think this year with, with the coaching change and with the depth at running back and with breaking a new quarterback, I think you you're going to see Donovan Smith be the leader of maybe a more balanced offense than what we saw, especially the last half of uh, last season. And with that, just to just to kind of jump in and and with that, uh, O line coach, um, you've heard a lot of our offensive linemen talk about the new run schemes and the blocking schemes that he has brought in. And I would I would expect to see this offensive line be very, very good at uh, at run blocking this year. I'm glad you brought that up because there are changes on the staff as well as changes on the roster, right? And in addition to Iman Nagavi, you also have a new quarterbacks coach, passing game coordinator, and Mike Burchett. 
And so do you see the the offense looking, you know, starkly different than it did in the Clayton Toon days? I don't know if I see it being wildly different just because, I mean, I think it's been pretty clear since St. Holverson's here, you know, whoever is offensive coordinator is, is the offensive coordinator. That's great. It's still going to be primarily a Dana Holverson offense. And he's, he's been primarily the play caller. He's kind of said he's going to split it, I think, between him, uh, Burchett, and then uh, Iman Nagavi are going to kind of all be involved in play calling duties, however that's going to work. I don't know if that's going to be real clear if they're going to be real. I mean, they might just be kind of keeping it under the, under the hood, you know, as opposed to what's actually happening there. So I don't know how much mm-hmm. we know that. But, you know, I, I think, you know, for Cougar fans, we kind of have to mention, though, man, it's just – uh, everyone's just glad that Shannon Dawson is gone because he was the, the QB's coach, offensive coordinator previously, a guy that his previous job before coming to Houston was was the offensive coordinator at Southern Miss when they were awful offensively. We brought him in to be like the tight ends coach. And you go, okay, and that's okay if he's the like, you know, the tight ends coach, fine. But then all of a sudden a year later, he's the quarterback's coach, offensive coordinator. It's like, whoa, 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 what are we doing? What are we doing? And, you know, and I think a lot of, fairly or not, I think a lot of the blame went to him last year for in terms of, why were we waiting so long to realize kind of what we needed to do offensively? Um, so, you know, I think he, it was kind of funny. He hired, he got, he got hired away by Miami for the same position this off season. And it was just one of those like, Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. Oh no, you hired him away. Oh no. Darn. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I don't know. Mike Burchett doesn't really have, I think he's got like one year of coordinator experience at the FCS level. I think he's just been an analyst for U of H for the last few years. So I don't know how much experience he has, what that's going to impact the offense, but I do know everyone's happy to see Shannon Dawson no longer on the roster. And I do know that I think at the end of the day, it's going to be a Dana Holgerson offense. And that's kind of the, he's going to be the primary, the kind of the primary offensive driver, which is why I don't think you'll expect to see too much change other than maybe finally U of H, like I said, having success in the run game, the way that they've wanted to and not really done under Dana so far. Yeah. I think Dana Holgerson will always be an offensive minded coach. He will be that guy who, in my mind will always be the guy who ran those uh, U of H teams from 08, 09 and uh, was running those offenses. So I, I have a hard time believing that Dana Holgerson is just always going to not put his, put his finger on, on the, uh, on the offense and make his influence known. So I think no matter who you bring in here, it's going to be Dana, Dana Holgerson. And if you don't like the way Dana Holgerson does things, then you're just not going to be a coach under Dana Holgerson's uh, especially on offense. Well, on that note, what is sort of the temperature on Dana Holgerson right now? And uh, how is important how important is this first season in the Big 12 for, for him being on the hot seat or, or getting onto the hot seat? How important is it for him to beat UTSA? I think for me, um, I think the expectations that the fan base has, that us alums have and the in the fan base has is wildly different than what our athletic department has. I think mm. beating UTSA is going to be a step in the right direction for him. It's one that he definitely needs to win with how he's going to, uh, let's just admit it, we're going to struggle in the Big 12 this year. Um for many reasons, not just like Daner couldn't recruit or anything like that. I think it's just we haven't been in the Big 12. We're making a huge step up in competition um, into a into a much larger conference. I think that um, his seat is warm, but I don't think it's as warm as many people think. The contract after this year, the buyout goes down, so you could in theory. But I think... Um, we saw this athletic department not get rid of many people heading into the big 12 uh, coaches that maybe were underperforming. And one of the big things that our AD said uh, in regards to, I think it was our baseball coach. He said, I can't think of 
I, I would rather go into the Big 12 with this coach that we know that has had some success here, that has had some good years, than starting over walking into a new conference. And I or something along those lines, mm-hmm. Dustin may be able to, to double check that and uh, tell me exactly what the quote was. But he said something along those lines, and I don't know why, but I just don't see. I see if, if Holgerson could pull out four wins, five wins, um, I, th- I think he's safe going into next year. Will our fan base be excited about that or happy? I don't think so. But I think if you if he comes away with four or five wins at the media days this year, a big thing that everyone was preaching was time. We just need some time. We just need some time. So mm-hmm. I would uh, I would be surprised if, you know, if Dana comes away with one win and it's like Rice or, or two wins with Rice and Sam Houston, then like, yeah, he's he's going to be in some big trouble. But um, I think Dana, I think Dana's seat is a lot cooler than a lot of us uh, fans want to think and hope it is. Yeah, I think there's a good chance Dana's going to get two years in the Big 12 and then they're going to go from there. You know, I mean, they hired him away from a sitting Big 12 program at West Virginia, granted one that was was getting a little bit fed up with him and maybe he was on kind of a warm seat there as well. But I mean, you hired the guy with the thought that you were going to try to be in the Big 12 in the next few years and it worked out. And then here's a guy who has literally already taken a program from a smaller conference into the Big 12. You know, why wouldn't you want this to be, I guess, the guy that, uh, that could do that again? So, you know, certainly last year where U of H was widely expected to be one of the top teams in the G5, kind of one of the picks for the the near six bowl and obviously didn't live up to that, you know, cooled a lot of fans on, on data. And just the fact that, man, Houston's, I think their four best games that they played last year were all on the road. Basically every home game was a minor disaster last year. Mm-hmm. Like even the couple of wins they got were like, oh, thank God we didn't lose to that team. Like it was just, it was not a great year to come out and like cheer on the Cougs. So I, I think the fan base is definitely cool on Dana and there's there's this kind of weird mismatch of everyone's very excited about joining the Big 12 and maybe a little bit less excited about who the coach is and I think Dana first kind of he kind of had a weird last year last year where he kind of like there's a couple times where it seemed like he's kind of yelling at the fans there's just some weird stuff going on give some weird answers and some press conferences even by Dana's standards you know where the team was <laughs> committing a bunch of penalties and he said oh I, I don't take responsibility for for how many penalties so at some point these guys have to take responsibility and just some just some weird stuff going on and it's, it's been kind of interesting because all of a sudden, over this offseason, you know, he reached out to us and was like, hey, I want to come on the podcast and talk to you guys. He's doing all the social media all of a sudden. He's doing all this mm. stuff. And it's just like, oh, mm. I, think, I think maybe he suddenly realized, like, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't be prickly to everybody all the time. Um, but, I mean, ultimately, it's going to come down to football games. And does the UTSA game matter? Yeah, it does. But I think ultimately it's more about what Houston looks like in the Big 12 this year. I think if – and part of the reason that the UTSA game is important is because I think going three and six – is maybe a you know a, about where you guys think they should probably should be this year in the Big Twelve, and I think that we can probably beat Rice and Sam Houston, but UTSA is I think very much a coin flip, so it could very much be the difference at the end of the year between U of H making a bowl game versus not making a bowl game, which is going to help. But I think ultimately it does come down to how does Houston look in the Big Twelve. I think if they go one and eight or something, and they're just getting smoked a bunch of times, I, I, I think this administration will seriously consider making a change going forward. And I think if they're three and six and you know only maybe one or two of the games are really blowouts but they lose to utsa and they go five and seven i'm 99 confident that dana will be back sure. going into uh, into next season so you know it, it matters i don't know i don't know how much it matters because like i said it's the, the standard that U of H is judging itself on from now on going forward is you know can this team in any sport compete in the big 12 yeah the days of uh rena couture's infamous hot take quote of will fire coaches for going for is a long time ago Long will that enough. ever come? Will that ever not come back to bite us in the ass? <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> 
Anyways, so as football junkies, we all know the first game of the season is great, but getting the first depth chart is arguably just as great of a time. What was the biggest surprise for you seeing that first depth chart for U of H this week? I mean, one of the surprising things, I guess, there, there weren't I, maybe the biggest surprise with the, the words any ors on the entire. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's exactly okay. what I was going to say. Without any USF had like 30 on theirs. Yeah, but, you know, <laughs> didn't Iowa State like, have like 29 yeah. or something. Well, I mean, Iowa State, that's let's not go down that I'm, as an Iowa State. Fan, I do not want to go down the <laughs> Iowa State rabbit hole, please. Let's not. Um, but no, I think I think and I think ultimately, though, he didn't use any ors for the same reason that some coaches use lots of ors, which is to just kind of disguise what's actually going on, right? Because, right. and he said he and he said as much, and I think today in a, a, a you know some media availability where he's like, hey, there are guys that weren't on the depth chart that are going to play, you know. So he could have put probably in a lot of places he could have put this guy or this guy as starting, but he just picked one. He could have put this guy or this guy as the backup, but he just picked one. I mean, the fact that you've got Hassan Hippolyte, who was named one of the defense, one of the team, one of the four team captains, was like listed. Uh, second on the depth chart at a uh, well linebacker and you go, mm, you know, I don't know. I don't know if he's actually a second stringer or if he's going to be playing as much in the, in the linebacking core as anybody is. So there weren't any major surprises. I was, I guess, mildly surprised that neither of Houston's two four-star freshman wide receivers that I mentioned or Parker Jenkins, their big four-star running back um, were in the depth chart, but it's the same thing. Ultimately, all three of those guys are going to see playing time this season. That's just, you know, they weren't the guys that got, they happened to get picked for the depth chart at this time. Yeah, I was it, Dustin. Dustin kind of took mine that there were no ands and ors or anything like that. I think the funny thing to me is that we take these depth charts and we're like, "Ooh, let's see." Like he couldn't just change it Saturday morning. <laughs> like, like this isn't this isn't like infallible. This isn't like you know. It's just oh, kind of like <laughs> you should see my group chat, man. We have it laser honed in on this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like if if somebody comes in and we come in, you know in a four wide to start the game. It's like, well, there were only three wide receivers on the depth chart. What are we like? And so, and so watching everyone freak out over depth charts does kind of make me laugh because I'm like, it could literally change if Dana's, if a guy wakes up and his pinky toe hurts and he's like, hey, like, okay, now you're the starter. So like it announces who's the starting quarterback, but he told us that two weeks ago. So it's like, ah, Eh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I would love to see some data analysis of like how correlated depth charts yeah, are right, to actual right. snaps. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I was surprised though that Brandon Campbell wasn't on there anywhere. It, like, is he injured or are these other guys just better than him right now? I think like, he was a little banged up during the fall. My understanding is he's ready yeah. to go, but ultimately, I think it is kind of you had. I think there's you have four running backs that are going to see time. It's Tony Mathis Jr., the transfer from West Virginia, who was the Mountaineers' leading rusher last year. Um, came in and he's the guy that I think was listed first. And then Stacy Sneed was, was someone that really came on and, you know, hadn't played much, but really kind of impressed over the course of uh, last season. So, I mean, I think those two guys and Brandon Campbell, as well as Parker Jenkins, the freshman, are all going to see the, the field at some point. So I think ultimately it was probably more of a, you had to pick two of the guys at some point. And I think, you know, the top three in, in front of Jenkins, probably you, you could have put in any order and it wouldn't have surprised me too, too much. Yep. What about switching over to the defense? You know, you, you guys, or we're known to give backfields fits, right? Uh, Sack Avenue. What is sort of the outlook now? You guys lost a couple key pieces there in Derek Parrish and D'Anthony Jones. What does the outlook sort of look like now for the defense? Is is it still going to be, you know, uh, that that havoc in the backfield sort of play? Uh, or do you guys think um, it might be a little bit of a different look? 
no, I, I think I think we'll see more of the same. This is still, I think, a defensive line that I think is 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 one of the stronger units uh, on the Cougars. You have Nelson Caesar, defensive end, who was a pretty good recruit for the Cougs a while back. Was kind of I think he's a fourth year, fourth or fifth year junior now, and someone who's just kind of progressively gotten better and gotten better, and someone that the staff has just been raving. He was also named one of the the team captains recently as well, and they've been been raving about how good he looks. And then at the other defensive end position, you've got David Aguebu, who transferred from. Uh, Oklahoma over the offseason he was like a starter for them had been a pretty four-year contributor uh, guys from from seven likes and Katie so a local guy coming home and had played outside linebacker for OU and kind of felt his 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 uh, future at the next level was at defensive end and OU was like man we kind of still want to play you at, uh, at linebacker and he said okay so he went to the portal and and U of H just like yeah we'll we'll be happy to start you at defensive end so I'm uh, really really excited to see what he can do um, and then, you know, I think in the middle of the line as well, you've got uh, Chosie Wakwo, who uh, is, is a guy that came in and, and played, was a real big recruit, came in and, and played, I think, nearly every game, his true freshman season, uh, and has been playing pretty consistently since then into someone who is not just a space eater, but a, a, legit, a legitimate disruptor uh, at the defense, you know, in the, the middle of the defensive line. So I think there's still a lot to like about this defensive line. You know, Stats been talking up a lot about the depth. I think I'm a little bit less sold on the depth than I have been in years past where you just, oh, there's clearly eight, eight or nine guys that are going to rotate through here. And here's, I'm, I, I think they're probably going to do that. I don't know how much of a drop-off there's going to be from some of the starters to maybe the uh, the backups there, but I think there's still a lot of talent. And I think that the defensive line still looks like it'll be one of Houston's better units and it needs to be because, you know, the secondary was pretty, pretty lousy last year and, and a lot of new guys will be, uh, you know, kind of broken into the secondary going forward. Yeah, that was going to be my point about the secondary is the defensive line better be good because the secondary for what is it probably the second or third year in a row is just kind of been the part where we as Cougar fans just kind of squint and go, eh, it might be pretty good, but we were relying on a lot of pressure. We we did lose uh, Parrish and DeAnthony Jones, who were kind of the leaders of quote unquote Sack Avenue and uh it's definitely those are guys you can't replace, but if you're gonna if you're gonna replace them going into the portal and getting the guys you got certainly is gonna is gonna help. Anybody who if I always I will jokingly say that if they're good enough for uh OU, they're probably good enough for us. If they can start there, they can probably start with us, at least at this point. Hopefully we're not like that for the rest of our Big 12 life. But, you know, they uh, if if you can be a productive member in the Big 12 and we can get you to come in our first year in the Big 12, I'm going to I'm going to be happy that you're going to be joining this team. So. Well, that's last question for me. Um, so I'll preface this a bit for you guys. Uh, I have a lot of concerns about UTSA's kicking game heading into the season. I also think this is going to be a one-score game. So how are you guys feeling about the Cougars kicking game this year? Oh, man, that is – I have no idea. Uh, yeah. lost Okay, every, we're in the same boat then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. College kickers, guys. baby, college kickers. <laughs> kicker uh, from last year. So I think kind of the guy at kicker is uh, Jack Martin, who was uh, transferred from um, Alabama. But he just kind of been like a kickoffs guy, I think. Didn't – has very few actual – Yield goals kicked in his career. So he is the only, I believe, scholarship kicker on the roster. So I like Houston's. Houston's got an Aussie punter as well. I know UTSA does as well. They've got their Aussie punter, Lane Wilkins, who's been pretty solid. So I like him at punter. Um, but yeah, in terms of the place kicking, uh, that's 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 a big old question mark. Well, well, we'll interestingly enough, the guy who lost the place kicking battle at UTSA is also an Alabama transfer. So I don't, Perfect. I don't know. Perfect. I'm so excited. <laughs> I am so excited now. Let's talk about Oh, that. man, but, this is going to be nuts. <laughs> But but yeah, Dustin's right. Uh, it's 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 probably the 
the unit I'm most concerned about on this entire team. There's the, there is a lot of concern going there. You, you've never really seen them kick, like Dustin said. And uh, I expect us to play a lot of close football games this year. The ones that we're going to win are going to be close games. I don't see us like blowing many teams out um, outside of maybe Sam Houston um, and maybe Rice. Rice. Okay. I was getting there. Calm down, Dustin. <laughs> maybe, maybe Rice. Come on, have a little say with your chest. We're going to be crap out of Rice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we did last year. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so and so I think the games that we're going to compete in the Big 12, I really think that they are going to be games that are going to be close. I don't see us, you know, going in and dominating West Virginia. I think any of our games that we're going to win in the Big 12 are going to be close games. And it's going to be concerning if it comes down to a, a kicker that we haven't seen yet. We'll have a good idea by probably week three. Right. Yeah. After you've seen him kick a couple of times, starts to go. You know, if we if we start to see flyers around campus going, uh, does anyone know how to kick? Then, uh, yeah, we'll be a little concerned. Hopefully it doesn't come to that, though. Yeah, I always love when a school has those open tryouts like midseason yeah. for kickers. Yeah. You know, let, let's hope neither of these programs. Get yeah, I was going to say, you know who doesn't love that? Fans of that team. Yeah. <laughs> do the Texas Tech throwback and have someone come win a kicking competition. Yeah, yeah. You can't be worse than this. Oh, cool. <laughs> Well, thanks for your time, guys. I hope that people listen to this podcast and also your episode as well. I think that we'll hear that this game is very much going to be strength on strength, weakness on weakness. Wide receiver is good. Uh, defensive line, good. Secondary, questionable. Kicking. <laughs> Who freaking knows, right? So it's, it's going to be a fun game. I'm excited that we'll, uh, we'll be able to be there. And hope you guys uh, enjoy it as well and, and may the best program win. Best of luck to you guys heading to Big 12. Well, uh, we can follow in your footsteps someday, making that <laughs> AC to, to P5 jump or P4, P2, P2 whatever it's going to be. Uh, Jared, yeah, thanks again, guys. For sure. Jared, I, I wouldn't be doing my job as a UTSA podcaster if I didn't bring up 2014. Um, you know, we we spoiled the. You could have waited so Bobby and Dustin were off to do that. <laughs> I just wanted to ask them, as U of H fans, I know in the locker room, it, it's it's long history, right? No one on the staff or on the roster even probably knows that that game was played. But from a fan perspective, do you guys still have a little irk when you think of that UTSA team? And and does I don't does think about that game. That game doesn't exist to me. Like I I remember we did some really cool stuff opening our stadium, and then the next week we won our first game in it. <laughs> I, I I was I was actually telling Jared before you guys got on, it was just me and him, and I said I think that's the most frustrated I've ever been watching a U of H game, in any sport, and I I'm talking any sport ever, just watching, just going, they're running an RPO. Every single play, they're running an RPO, and it's not even like a good RPO. It's a bubble screen out, and you're picking up six every play. I've never been more frustrated. But one of my favorite U of H memories also came from that game. I'm pretty sure it was that game. We were in the stands, and there was this girl behind us who I don't think I've ever seen a human that drunk and awake at once. And she was standing up. And that was when the song Cake was out, like Cake, 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 Cake. And she was standing up randomly. She'd put her hands on her knees and she would just vaguely move back and forth while slurring Cake, 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 Cake. The whole game. It was the whole game. So I have to watch my team just get absolutely annihilated. And then there's this girl who couldn't tell you where she is, grinding on her boyfriend vaguely, just whispering cake it was the worst experience of my life <laughs> i was gonna say what, what, what hurt, small moments 
So what hurts me almost as much, if not more, was two years prior when U of H opened the 2012 season, opened the post-Case Keenum era uh, by losing at home to Texas State in what I believe mm-hmm. was their first ever game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really? He got fired in the locker room, I think. Do I remember that correctly? Yeah. Wow. That? Yeah, I don't know. Like, at least y'all have gone on to be like a good program, whereas Texas State <laughs> hasn't really done that to kind of validate that loss. Yeah. You know, a little bit. So, I mean, but like, so, I mean, yeah, is it kind of annoying? Am I kind of annoyed that forever, as long as Houston is playing in TDUC State, I don't have to remember that the first ever game there was was a loss to UTSA? Yeah, like that, that bums me out. But, man, I got to be honest, going to the Big 12, like, there's nothing you can reference from, and there have been some painful, painful memories as a U of H fan over the last many years, there's nothing you can reference from the pre big 12 times. that will hurt my feelings anymore because I'm like, eh, whatever we're in the, we're in the freaking big 12. now. Nice. Yeah. Nice. yeah I, I know Louisiana tech is going to try to pull a scoreboard on UTSA. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. Uh, I did think of one last question for you guys. Short yep. and simple zero out of 10. How excited would you be to sign a long-term home and home with UTSA moving forward? Ooh, uh, I'm gonna say like three and a half, and that's just because I don't know if I want that good of a like. I mean, the sure, no, valid, the totally Dana, valid. The Dana Holgerson, you know, or not Dana Holgerson, uh, Chris Pesman thing is like, okay, we're in the Big Twelve, we're playing nine games. I want an FCS, a G five, and a P five as our right. conference. Like, I don't know if I want a game that good as our G five. We need to have a couple of these games that we can win. Uh, just like, and I don't know if I want to do home and homes. I think I'd rather see us doing buy games with the G five and just mm-hmm. try to get as many of those games as possible at home. So. And I hate this because when I was in the G, when we were in the G5, as recently of last year, I just, I hated any P5 that wouldn't do a decent home and home with, with some good teams. And <laughs> in terms of making intriguing matchups, it's a hell of an intriguing matchup. And, you know, it, it'll be a fun matchup for sure. But man, I, I'd be happy playing y'all like every third or fourth year or something. I don't know if I want to do it real regular though. If we're doing, if we're doing a home okay. and home every, every fourth season, so every recruiting cycle we play you once, then, then sure I'm on yeah. board. But anything, right. I don't know. I'll take that. I think we'd accept See, see, for me, I I love the matchup. I love the kind of in-state rivalry. And like Dustin said, you know, all the Big 12 teams were ducking us for all these years. I don't want to be that. So I would I wouldn't mind it. Uh, I would probably put it at like a six or a seven. Now, if you tell me I can get a two for one every other year, we kind of, you know, we do two and then one. I'll take that. I, that to me is like a nine, maybe a 10. I would love to do like a two for one. I also like Dustin's idea of once every four years or so, you know, once mm-hmm. a recruiting cycle. So you, uh, your recruits can, can go and say, you know, they, they overlooked you. You guys can have that game and we yeah. can have <laughs> that. Uh, don't let them sneak up on you kind of game. I, 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 I like the in-state stuff. If, if we're, if we're being honest, if I could create my dream conference, it would just be all the teams in Texas in one conference, like the big 12 would just be every FBS team in, in the state of Texas. And it would be so much fun. That makes yeah, much sense. They, they tried that. Basically. It was called the Southwest conference. And yeah, yeah. I know they did. And it I didn't. Mean, here's my pitch here. So one game at TDECU, one game at the Alamo dome, one game at like NRG where they give half this, you know, half the seats to each, uh, to each, hmm. each fan base. There you go. Who says, mm. Who says Is no? each fan base feeling that, NRG though. No, but no. At, least it's, at, least not, at least you're not making UTSA swallow a straight up two for one, which I think Yeah. <laughs> I think there's precedence for that with other programs. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. So thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Um anytime. We're happy to help you guys out. You know, hopefully we'll see each other in a bowl game at some point and uh for other sports as well. So thanks again. Yes, yeah, sir. Yeah, thanks for having us. Always fun talking to you guys. 